guys, welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Ellie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. We were inspired to learn about the journeys of normal people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices, from physical to emotional to spiritual, to figure out what wellness means to them and what works for them. We aren't doctors or experts, just average ladies figuring out how to live our best lives while tackling topics all across the wellness spectrum. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Today on the podcast, we have producer and actor Paul V. Sastry. Pallavi is currently in post-production as lead producer and writer of Invisible, a documentary film that challenges the way society treats and views fibromyalgia. Today we discuss chronic illness in this country, living with an invisible illness, and going deep into discussion about fibromyalgia. Pallavi is a graduate at the University of Oklahoma with credits on network television, film, off-Broadway, national tours, and commercials. She thrives on collaborating with forward-thinking filmmakers to portray the every woman, regardless of race, religion, upbringing, preconceived beauty standards, or economic status. The first episode of her brand new podcast, What Are Friends For?, was released yesterday. Please check it out wherever podcasts are found. We are very excited to welcome Paula B to the podcast today. So thank you for joining us today, Paula B. My pleasure, ladies. <laughs> yeah. So... You are a producer of um, a documentary that's currently in post-production, is that correct? Correct. What is the name of that documentary? The movie is called Invisible, and it essentially covers um, like a slice of life of people living with a chronic condition called fibromyalgia. Mm. Okay, so for all of our listeners who don't know what fibromyalgia is, could mm-hmm. you give a little explanation? So um, my there's a short and long. So what I always preface by saying, and this is what was so interesting to us when we started this project, was that that question is asked all the time. Like people don't really fully understand mm. what mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Myself included when I started the project. Okay. All right? So um, when we ask medical professionals, what is fibromyalgia? They say it's a chronic pain syndrome with three cardinal symptoms, widespread body pain, um, unrelenting fatigue, Mm -hmm. and cognitive cognitive impairment, meaning like brain fog is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And then when you ask um, non-Western like people that are living with, like um, non-Western practitioners or like holistic practitioners okay. or people with living with the condition, they say it's devastating. It's uh, taken away all of my freedom. It's a lot more of an emotional response to the question. So um, I always like to say it depends on who you ask. Okay, mm. interesting. <laughs> and the and the and the film actually encompasses all of those different Mm. answers like we try and throw those in there to like show perspective Mm. because we don't want to be like biased right in the film like try to give a well-rounded sort of experiential right explanation of what it is Mm -hmm. so how how did you come to be involved in this film um so it's a very (laughs) interesting way that I kind of landed in it um I moved to New York um uh, 2007 ish 2008 ish to to be an actor Mm -hmm. um to be on Broadway and 
um, you know, that the life of a artist is mm-hmm. very like, you know, make it, make it work with the stretch, the dollar and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I sort of through trial and error over, you know, five or six years kind of landed in a mostly like plant-based lifestyle and like, you know, like feeling better for the first time after quitting dairy. Like my voice lessons were like, my voice was soaring through the roof. Mm. Like it was like, I've never felt like this when I've been singing before. And, um, and so because of that, I felt super driven to like find a community that also like was of like mind Mm. people that find like that really prioritized them their well-being Mm. in order to be good artists okay that was something that I was searching for without being able to articulate it Mm -hmm. and um cut to um around 2012 I sort of reconnected with a girlfriend of mine um we weren't terribly close when we first met we were doing regional theater um, together when we were both in college and she reached out to me and she said, I heard that you went vegan recently through the grapevine. I was like, who's talking about my food? Like, <laughs> yeah. who's talking about my dietary restrictions with you? And, um, anyway, like, you know, when you get passionate about something, obviously mm-hmm. I talked about it a lot, so I'm sure it got around. And, um, she wanted to like, talk to me about the multi-level marketing company that she was working with at the time. And I'm going to, for a second, I'm going to take a break and say, I actually like, I'm really grateful for that, mm-hmm. that meeting, because I don't really have a ton of experience or exposure to a ton of like multi, multi-level marketing or like the, you know, the companies mm-hmm. that where they make their money by selling the products, the people buying the products are selling the products as well. Right. But this per, like the particular company that she was working with happened to be uh, v- very in alignment with what I was looking for at the mm-hmm. time. She and I reconnected. She connected me with one of her, you know, however the business works, one of her, like, sponsors or yeah. whatever. That woman, her name is Megan Densmore, she had fibromyalgia. Mm. Okay. And we became very good friends. Mm. And I learned a lot about um, all, of the, all of the different things that could cause somebody to trigger a chronic condition in their mm. body. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been diagnosed at 13, and she was a competitive wow. gymnast at the time. Wow. Like, on track to be wow. an Olympian wow. sort of gymnast. Wow. And um, she wow. had to just stop. Yeah. Right? So she had a very moving story. Mm. And, like, you know, at, through, as our friendship grew... Um, and as I saw her getting healthier and stronger in her 30s, um, I sort of like was really, I was like, oh, like this is, you know, for a minute I thought I was going to switch careers and like be a holistic health person yeah. because I just saw what positive uh, choices could do. Yeah. Um, and then she came to me one day and she was like, I'm feeling, you know, I've been um, out of the closet of, with my condition for about five or six years now. And I think I'm ready to talk about it on a larger scale. Cause she's now a competitive weightlifter. Like she's, wow. you know, she's gotten herself back to a point physically where she's like an athlete. Mm. And she's like, I think I need, I'm, I would be selfish if I, if I wasn't sharing what positive things I was able to do in order to get myself back to this place. Yeah. Have I figured it out? No, but you know, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said. And I think people 
maybe I should maybe talk about this. Mm. And there might be a movie in it. Do you want to do this with me? Wow. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So that's the long version yeah. of how I got there. And it, that's the reason why it's such a passion project. Because it started with, like, a personal connection. Right. And that's what we try to do in the film is show that, like, we need to... Healthcare needs to be um, uh, started. It, we need to lead with empathy mm-hmm. in healthcare mm. because if if we can if we can do that, then that means we can find the solutions that actually work instead of trying to you know just like slap a band aid on things. Yeah. You know, like which is a very you know we talk about this a lot in many episodes, but that's a very not not all Western doctors practice that way, but it's a very sort of like Western medicine approach which is just like you know hide the symptom or or you know address the symptom Mm -hmm. not the cause Mm -hmm. yeah right so um it's it's really interesting because at the end of the day it doesn't help it go away yeah Yeah. it just helps sort of manage right right? exactly the managing is the word that is used thrown around a lot in our film yeah it's Mm -hmm. like we're managing disease Mm -hmm. what are some of the triggers that can cause fibromyalgia to come up because you mentioned like the stressors or different things that mm-hmm. can make it activate in our bodies well I'm sure you guys have talked about this with other people uh, on your show but I mean stress is the and inflammation is the start of every disease yeah. <laughs> every, chron- every chronic illness <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean every every sort of ailment comes from some sort of something that our body is hanging on to mm. so for some people, it could have been like a car accident mm. that just like stayed and in their body and then turned into chronic pain, like radiating. Like you know, some people had, uh, you know, maybe they had like an injury, like a sports injury, or like a, mm-hmm. um, uh, like a, yeah, I know a couple of dancers that you know deal with fibromyalgia from like a, an, an injury that they had when they were kids, but they're mm. just you know they're, you know, yeah. they're, they've educated themselves on how to um, manage. Yeah, their yeah. condition, um, and then uh, we also have uh, we also talked with somebody who had um, was in an abusive relationship. Wow, um, and that was not only physical harm being done to her, but of course, emotional em- trauma, em- yeah. like massive emotional trauma. Yeah, um, and she had a, a young baby at the time, and she had to like find her way out of that situation. And now she's an advocate for fibromyalgia, started her own nonprofit, and like mm-hmm. you know she's using it to using her experience to try and move forward. But that was maybe her trigger, and she's not able to pinpoint it. But maybe that was it, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then in other cases, it can be brought on by um, comorbid conditions is what they call it. So like if somebody has MS or if mm-hmm. somebody has lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, like... Like autoimmune Yes, type. exactly. Yeah. yeah, a lot of autoimmune conditions can be like paired. Fibromyalgia can come as like a, a side effect okay. of those things. Oh, yeah. So re- again, it, it depends on who you ask. Yeah. But, you know, I think um, that's part of the reason why it's been necessary that we still continue to try and finish this film and be um, also really imperative that we try and um, collect as many perspectives as possible because it is so layered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting, these invisible illnesses, right? Mm-hmm. Because so many people I imagine who live with fibromyalgia have to they can't just stop living their lives, even though I'm sure it's very debilitating. Mm-hmm. But it's not like something 
you can see, right? Mm-hmm. Like when someone gets diagnosed with cancer or stage four cancer, you there is like physical. Mm-hmm. With fibromyalgia, are there physical or is it just this? Because I imagine invisible illness must be so difficult to live with because you can probably look normal mm-hmm. to the world, but here you are suffering so tremendously with something on the yeah. inside. Yes, uh, and that's, that's kind of the whole... Uh, issue with it that's the Mm. whole difficulty with um the it's the discrepancy between the healthcare system and the patient population Mm. right so when you go into the doctor what's the first thing they ask you they say what are your symptoms Mm. and you say i'm tired all the time my body hurts Mm. um i'm forgetting things or you know whatever they might say that are the symptoms that come along with it and more often than not, what, we, what we've heard is that the response is, well, you have two kids and you're a working mom, so just, you know, take some, get some rest. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, or like if they say I'm depressed or something, you know, because I'm so tired and I can't mm. seem to get myself out of bed and, you know, like, okay, well, why don't we put you on some antidepressants and see what happens? Mm. Right. And it's like if you can't even express or articulate or because we don't have the tools right if we don't know what we have right then how are we going to know how to address it yeah (laughs) right so that's the vicious cycle that we've seen so you said you speak to like obviously plenty of medical doctors but also sort of more holistic practitioners Mm -hmm. are there certain sort of treatment approaches from the from like the eastern medicine holistic world that seem to be effective at all or um great question um the most interesting thing that i'll point out is that um at least the holistic practitioners and they're all mds still okay right and they're all uh, they're you know they're all traditionally trained doctors, doctors um that find their way into this and the two or three that we've spoken to are doctors that have fibromyalgia. Oh, interesting. Wow. So we thought that was like an, an even that's an extra layer yeah. of like, oh, you actually have like life experience with this, and you're an educated person, person. you know. Yeah. Like, so um, you know, when we talk to them, um, the thing is, is that nobody really shuts out Western medicine, painkillers, none of that stuff. Right. The, and I, I and I think that that's a really um, it's what they say is that you know painkillers and you know prescription drugs have a place Mm -hmm. in treatment. They have a place, but it is in order to, um, the way that they use them is that they try and um, use them at the very beginning just to try and get the pain or the fatigue to a point where they can start making other changes. Mm. Okay. Right? It's like, it's never the solution. It's like the, okay, if it gets so bad that you can't stand it, I will give you like three pills to last you for the month so you can use them when you need to. Right, when it gets you know? bad enough that you need something strong. To yeah, sort of... while we are making the bigger changes like taking the right supplements and eat, making the right dietary changes, mm-hmm. like, you know, getting rid of processed food and, um, you know, uh, uh, getting rid of the airborne toxins in your house. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I can't... It freaks me out. To be honest, like, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Because it's like, the dietary stuff we, on some level, you know, not on all levels, but on some level can have choice and control with some education and some resources, which not everybody has. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
again, it's like the, the silent stuff. How do you know, you know, what's making you sick sometimes? Well, that's where I'm going to be, you know, a super tree hugging voter and yeah. say that like, you know, it's on us to really do the work right now. Yeah. And, and uh, I guess until the research too. The, yeah. Do yeah. the, do the research is what I mean by yeah. work. It's like, you know, do the reading, see what companies are actually being responsible and what they're putting in their bottles and on the shelf. Yeah. And, um, let's, you know, try and clean things uh, with non-toxic things, let's yeah. try and um, buy produce from you know as a little affected soil as possible. You know, like it's let's. True. But that we have to do the the we work. We have to put in the effort. In the yeah, yeah. I mean, just it, it. I I see chronic conditions at this point with this experience. I, I see chronic conditions and autoimmunes and all of those things. Even though I don't have them, I do know what it feels like in my body to not make good choices right to not make right choices they just happen to have an exacerbated uh experience of that yeah and they need extra support in order to get to a place and like you said you pointed you brought up a really good point earlier of resources like you know we're all really privileged to be able to make those choices yeah we talk about this a lot yeah yeah and you know most of the people in our film are uh you know underrepresented, underserved women of color. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, uh, what does the, the, you know, the worst case, I don't want to say worst case scenario, but in our film, the the worst end of the spectrum that we're able to find is a woman that was, uh, that couldn't even find proper fibromyalgia care in Puerto Rico. She came from Puerto Rico to the mainland States. Um, to, she went to, she ended up in Patterson, New Jersey, which is a really rough place. Um, Being from New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. Um, Patterson, New Jersey. And yeah. she's like, you know, she's living on disability. And all she gets is whatever her disability dictates that she gets. Right. So she can't go to Trader Joe's or she can't go to Whole Foods. Or even at the grocery store, she can only spend what she's allowed to spend. Right. And, and she's <laughs> unable to work in the, if she's on disability because of, because of the chronic condition. So it, I, you yeah. see the cycle, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like there's, there's no way for us to, you know, um, really tell someone like that, well, just make better choices. Right. You know? Like, Eat more leafy greens. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, she can't buy leafy greens. Right. Like, yeah. where's she going to get it? Um, and so, but that's a whole nother discussion. Right. We on like the, whole long on that. Whole nother discussion on the discrepancies of the healthcare system. Even, but, yeah, even medically, I was just listening to something where like insurance, you know, let's say someone wants to do alternative cancer treatments, for mm-hmm. instance, insurance will pay for like the $12,000 of chemo per session, but they won't pay for, you know, vitamin C infusion treatments that mm-hmm. a holistic specialist would recommend, you mm-hmm. know? So it's just, it's also, even if you have good insurance or access, Mm -hmm. but you don't have the, it's still not going to give you the ability to do a lot of holistic care. That's so expensive. You know, so unless you're in this, right. And this upper sort of, this really small socioeconomic Mm -hmm. class that can just choose to do what they want. Like Mm -hmm. even if you have health insurance or access to food, you might not have access to maybe some holistic treatments that could really help or benefit you because insurance and the medical system just won't pay for it so it's just like it's so multi-layered of bad but and it's just it's just a hot mess yeah well I mean we are trying to like you know find like some sort of silver lining and some sort of hopeful message with all of this like um what we do point out um so for for Megan for Megan's story like she talks often about 
the only reason she was able to um, figure out how to survive and live and thrive with mm-hmm. her condition is that she literally built her life around the things that she needed. Mm-hmm. So she became mm-hmm. a Pilates instructor that helped her with her chronic wow. pain. She became a, a, a holistic health person. Like, you know, she started yeah. coaching people and whatnot and, you know, uh, so that she could afford it to for herself. Yeah. You know, like her, <laughs> life, her life started to shift what she needed. Yeah. That's and I mean, she's, she, and she went to New York to be an actress too, you know, and now she's doing great. She's, you know, auditioning again and, and booking and she's mm. doing great. But, you know, like, I mean, she's like, if I didn't revolve, if my life didn't revolve around my condition, then I would not be doing as well as mm. I am. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. Because it, <laughs> needs to support like she needs her days to support her condition yeah and so I remember like you know going back to the whole like multi-level marketing thing is like I understood why she was doing it Mm -hmm. she needed those props she needed those company yes (laughs) you probably can which they have good stuff they do have good stuff stuff. and she and she needed it because it was the first time she felt any sort of relief Mm -hmm. I get that yeah (laughs) you know and you know I I mean I don't fault anybody for doing something that comes from your heart no Mm -hmm. You know? And if you believe in in what you're doing too, you right. believe that, that like either the products are good or you know that yeah. it's helping you in some way and mm-hmm. that can help others, right? You know. Um. So where are you? You guys are in post production right mm-hmm. now. Is there any sort of timeline for when this film might? be you know accessible to the to the public girl you know we're we're all in the industry in yeah. some way and this stuff takes such so a long time, time. Yeah. um what you know we naively this is my first feature and um uh we naively when we started um thought okay well we'll shoot here and here and we'll shoot for you know we'll have we had like 10 days 10 shoot days lined mm-hmm. up for like over six months or so and then um, we were like, and then we'll edit, and then we'll try and get it in the festivals, right. and like you know, like and distribution, <laughs> and you know, we were like so optimistic about it, which we still are because yeah, we know that yeah, it's n- the, the the film is necessary, like yeah. people want it, yeah. Um, but I, that is not how it worked out. These things are very expensive, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, we have done three rounds of crowdfunding already, okay. and um, successfully, which is great. That's, That's amazing. Fantastic. It shows you that there's there's the want for it. Oh, so yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. we've spent zero marketing dollars on, like, social media. You know how you can bo- boost things on social yeah. media? We've used, like, almost zero money, and we have uh, 6,400 followers on Facebook. It's incredible. Yeah, that is Like, incredible. that's zero. Uh, and like, that's pretty hard to do these days. Like, we talk about that, too, not buying followers is really mm-hmm. important to us. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> um, but people do. And sometimes it's almost necessary, but it's like, if there's an organic sort of need for it, it will grow. It just might not be at the rate that everybody's sort of rushing to have. Mm, Right. And that's the key, right? I mean, this has been a very, like, slow uh, and steady marathon Mm -hmm. of a a project. Mm -hmm. And um, we do intend to release in 2019... you know, that all depends on, we have a, another cut of the, of the edit coming out at the end of the month. And then it'll be, we have a couple of different, um, last, last few elements to put in like, you know, a, a score mm-hmm. and, you know, all the things that a film needs to, in order to be finished. And, um, and then we're pretty positive that we will find a co-producer to come on board to like for the finishing funds. Like we're, we're pretty, yeah. po- we had a really great, um, 
reception at Hot Docs, which is the biggest documentary film festival in North America. It was in Toronto. And we were part of their distribution rendezvous, which is like, you know, you speak with a bunch of distributors and you talk about the film and whatnot. So that everybody was like, you've done, you you have how many followers and you have what? You're... You have an audience ready? We're yeah. like, yeah, they want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> they want to see like there's a community waiting for it. Yeah. And um, so the idea is to have it out next year in some sort of festival capacity. But, that's you know, that's, that's, that's all incredible. Yeah. And I think it's important giving, you know, it sounds like you guys are giving sort of agency to this, you know, silent or, you know, disease that's not like, like as Erica mm-hmm. was saying, that you can't really see. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like, but when you're suffering, there's some power in giving agency to that community too, to talk about it, to like make more people aware of what that experience can be like. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't take all the credit in, uh, or we can't take all the credit in like, you know, bringing voice to it, but, um, we have had incredible amounts of support from, um, like the various nonprofits that mm-hmm. are centered around fibromyalgia, um, our last crowdfunding campaign, we had something called um, uh, an ambassador program where we had uh, we had like a separate Facebook group for them, like the, the community leaders. And like there was like eight or nine of them, mm. 10 of them. And they all took it on themselves to blast the campaign out oh, wow. to their respective nonprofit crowds. OK. Mm. And because, you know, like it's this these things are they they need. Uh, crowdfunding is it's a, it's a, what it sounds like right yeah, I mean the word yeah. crowdfunding means like you need a crowd yeah. so how are you going to build that it's like they were ready for to, to jump on board for that so really have to give a lot of props to to our ambassadors out there and um you know like coming back to how do people with less privilege um you know, get the care that they need. Like those nonprofits are the ones that are trying to create those services for them. Yeah. Right. So it's just as important that we get this film out there for those organizations that are trying to do the work. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because this is something I'm so passionate about in general and we've talked a lot about, but you know, when I was growing up, there was a period of my childhood where we had no money. Like Mm -hmm. we were Like, people are bringing my family, like, food so that we could eat. Like, we had no money. And we didn't have health insurance at that time. And, um, like, couldn't even... We had a family friend who was a doctor who would give us samples, which we were so fortunate for. Because my... I was 11 and my brother was 7. So, um, kids get sick a lot. (laughs) You know, kids get sick a lot. Kids... So, my mom, you know, you know, has since talked to us about this time and this period where she was working two jobs and all this stuff was happening and... She was so afraid of what would happen if, like, we broke a bone, you know, or if we fell or if something. I had, I did break my arm when I was in fourth grade. We had insurance then, thank God. But my mom would just be so worried all the time about what would happen. And there's so many people who are living that way. And so it is so important. It's just, it's very important that, like, these nonprofit Mm -hmm. groups exist and that people are giving access to people who don't have you know, and especially I think when you're in that situation too, the idea of like chronic illness or invisible illness mm-hmm. is a lot because it is just like it's almost a luxury to even be like, I'm gonna go to the doctor and even like ask about like why I'm in pain, mm-hmm. why I'm right, you know, why I'm tired all the time. Because when you're like that single mom working two jobs or your kid is like complaining, like you're she received got it at 13, right? Like Mm -hmm. 13 year old, you could be like, well, whatever, you know, like that's just not our priority right now because our priority is surviving or, you know, I've met people who, um, they work those two jobs, the night shift and it's like, they can't miss 
their shift or they can't pay their rent, you know? So it's just such, again, this is a much longer conversation, but I think it's really important because typically people who do go see documentary films specifically have access, you know, Mm -hmm. like the demographic who is interested in learning and documentary film, you know? Yeah. So I mean, no really, offense, it's a very, like, white hipster, no, you know? Like, is, like, no, I I also made a documentary sure, as well. So you I know, just, like, you know, but even just, like, things that, um, the access to even go see these types of films, typically people have more access to contributing to making a difference. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important yeah, that it gets attention, it gets out there. And I also think your experience, too, of how you came to this, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about. It's like when you align, right? Like you started getting into veganism and nutrition, and then all of a sudden, like, these people come into your environment. And now here you are with this documentary right. film, right? It's like when you start living in line with your truth, opportunities open up, as opposed to this, like, fight and this struggle of oh, I have to be an actress. I have to do, you know, like what, it's like, you're just on this hustle. But when you just start accepting, like, I'm going to live my truth. Or what feels right for you. Yeah. Yeah. Everything kind of aligns, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. I think it, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, The other thing that I try and, you know, whenever somebody asks me for advice or whatnot, I was like, Mm. how did you start producing? I was like, I didn't know what the the fuck I was doing whenever this Mm -hmm. project came to me. I didn't know. I was, I didn't know what it meant to be a producer. I thought a producer means somebody that already has money, that already has connections, that writes a check and makes something happen, you know, like, (laughs) you know, and so that is something I aspire to do. I would love to, (laughs) I would love to say yes to people and write checks to them and say, go make your, go make your film. Um, but I think it's like at the time I was just wanting to like do something that felt useful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, and I think as artists, we tend to be so insular and we tend to be so concerned with, um, it's, it's, um, a friend of mine, uh, I thought put a label on it beautifully. He called it benevolent narcissism. And I was like, that is so brilliant mm-hmm. because we, because so we want to be yeah. so available to the world. We want to be available to other people and we, yeah. and we want this to matter. But at the same time, we're so like, well, what if I don't get this? Right. What if I don't like get that? Self-obsessed sort of. <laughs> you're sort of required to have in order to do it too it's a weird duality yeah but if we can just concentrate on like the art serving us and then us serving Serving. others Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's like just try and be of service and then we can find the things and we will the alignment comes easier I think absolutely whenever we find um a way to just be useful to the world yeah yeah that's great and I think also it's interesting but and you can speak to this as an actor, but I find that sometimes when I'm in a place of producing something, I'm a little bit more of like a behind the scenes role in a creative project and take on that responsibility versus the actor responsibility, which are two different sort of skill sets um, in the same kind of whatever, maybe the same kind of medium. Mm -hmm. But um, it brings a beautiful amount of perspective Mm -hmm. to the other job so for example I find that like when I'm in the actor position I have (laughs) I have empathy and understanding for what it's like to produce something and Mm -hmm. how much sort of thankless work goes into that and then also when I'm in more of a producing or directing kind of behind the scenes creative position um 
I have empathy for what it's like to put yourself out there as an actor and mm-hmm. as an artist. And so I think those things can ultimately serve each other, um, which is kind of, it's interesting that you came to it so young too. Oh yeah. In your acting career. I mean, I'm sure that's, you know, not, I'm sure that served each other. It did. And, and I'm glad you actually brought that up because I will say that like things did not go great mm. until about age 27, 28 for me. Like it, it was not, it was not very good. Yeah. Like I was pretty broke. I was like not, you know, mm. still figuring out how to like be healthy and like not get injured every time, you know, you know, you know yeah. I was like killing myself at the gym and like, yeah. you know, like not really listening to like not letting my body be what it's supposed to be, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. and all of those things. And, uh, I think, you know, once I started like thinking about somebody other than myself, <laughs> it sort of like, it, I felt better in my body already. Talk mm-hmm. about wellness, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, like that's, uh, that's a, you know, I'm, I'm now at 32. Like, I'm like, why didn't I start going to therapy at, you know, like at age eight, 19, yes. you know, to like try and just be more useful to the world. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Therapy has changed my life too. I've been in it for a year and a half. And I am, I I don't care how many times I say it on the podcast, because I truly believe everybody listening should be in therapy. (laughs) Not even, even if it's just for 45 minutes. You should be in therapy. You hear me? You should be in therapy. Even if you have no problems, (laughs) what's just, you know, I went, I started going to therapy because I had bad anxiety and I was just like really anxious and, um, it was just like, there was one specific situation that I was like, I'm going to go to therapy to deal with this situation, right? And a year and a half later, I'm still there because it's evolved into so much more than I ever thought it could be. And same, I'm like, why was it I just always exploring myself this way? I feel, you know, I feel like this last year and a half for me has really been about like finding who I am, like living true to myself, being like having just conviction in the woman I am. And um, I don't think I would have been able to do that without the tools therapy has given me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's incredible. And it, it just, it's, anyway, I agree a thousand percent because therapy is incredible. And even if you have nothing, some some weeks I go there and I'm like, I have nothing to talk about this week. Everything's fine. And there's mm-hmm. always something that I'm able to dig and mm-hmm. explore. Right. And just it, does, feel, it is something that I think all people should experience at some point in their life. <laughs> and how it's incredible great. would it be if, you know, people with chronic conditions, if, if, if the healthcare system at a minimal level mm-hmm. provided therapy. Yeah. Yeah, because it's such an emotional experience when you're it going is. through physical things. Like this, this is a thing, and this is sort of like the core of what holistic means in mm-hmm. this way. Not just like holistic care, but like we were talking with Meredith on a different episode, holistic as the whole, mm-hmm. um, the, the other kind of whole, and that all the aspects come together, right? They're not, we, we tend to compartmentalize parts of our life or parts of our, our wellness, mm-hmm. and they're not different things they all they all exist within us Mm -hmm. and they also have relationships with each other Mm -hmm. and so it would be incredible if there were sort of therapeutic emotional you know and psychological services given to people suffering with Mm -hmm. chronic illness or with cancer I mean there I'm sure there are some resources yeah but yeah there I mean I don't think yeah there are are. yes if it was sort of... If we an, prioritized it. We prioritize it as a part of care. Yes. As a part yeah. of healthcare. Right. Yeah, it is. You know, it surprised me too because um, with my insurance, it only cost me like 
$40, a week to go to therapy. I thought that was part of why I didn't go for so long. I was like, I don't want to spend 200 And I know some people have different health insurance and different things. But with health insurance, it, it can be accessible if you look into it. And find. I, I've talked about this before when I've mentioned going to therapy. But it took me three people to find a therapist who worked for me. And um, I'm so glad someone told me that when I started because I hated the first two people like I did not resonate with them Mm -hmm. I felt judged by them Mm -hmm. it was like a whole and if I had thought oh well this is all therapy I would have just never gone back but it took me like third time's a charm like I love my therapist I think she might listen to our podcast sometimes so if she's listening (laughs) I love you you changed my life um no but I love her but it took three people for me to find her and she has absolutely shaped my life but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, it was just World Mental Health Day. And I think like all of these things, people just don't talk about it because there's so much stigma attached to going to therapy. Even in my own family, I had people be like, oh, like, why are you going to therapy? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, <laughs> you know, there's this, all this, there, there was judgment from some of my extended family mm-hmm. members who I was very surprised, you know, because they have their own beliefs of what you you should do to take care I don't know it was very interesting it's uh, we try to prioritize like talking about things that maybe have a stigma around being talked about Mm -hmm. on this podcast like part of part of the reason we do it but you know you're you're open Mm -hmm. she's like she'll talk to you about anything so I'm like but it's also something that like you can I don't think there should be a stigma about talking about it. No. Which, so thank you for sharing that. But, yeah. But it is something you can also do for yourself privately if yeah. you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the irony, though, and I, and I brought it up in relation to people with chronic conditions getting mm-hmm. more uh, support with yeah. mental health. The, the irony, I though, is with yeah. the, them already feeling the stigma of their condition. Like, yeah. you know, some people don't even say that they ha- they, they don't put a word on it. They don't say the word. The yeah. F, they call it the F word. The F word yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they say like, oh, then, you know, that's like a, it's like getting a, a mark on your permanent record. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, that's already stigmatized. And then um, historically, fibromyalgia was thought of uh, to be a woman's disease because, it was, you know, they thought it was psychosomatic. Mm. So, you know, it's like, well, now here we are. We're realizing that emotional stress and trauma can, you know, be a trigger for some people. Right. Yet we're already terrified of the stigma of the, the, the condition. And we're also, uh, tr- are we trying to advocate for this all the other stigmatized thing, which is right. mental health care? Like, so, <laughs> it's, a lot. it's like, you it's know, a lot for people want like willingly to want to take on as a part of because I think there's shame. It's so interesting, but I think sometimes this is like through even my own experience with the medical world and my own sort of like medical history and journey. I just find that so many people feel shame about disease. Mm -hmm. And even when it comes down to like food and nutrition, which I'm not going to open up this can of worms to go (laughs) down, but like there's so much, like, it's not always people's fault that they make the wrong choices, mm-hmm. too. Absolutely. Like, no, no. No. Do you know what I mean? But people don't know that. They yeah. think it's a willpower thing. <laughs> or they think that... It's like, no, there are companies that are, have invested billions of dollars to have create chemical compounds in the food, which isn't even real food, to make you addicted. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, no... And also, there's 
we're giving you information that's inaccurate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the government saying this is the food pyramid that like is right. full of shit, right? And it's like people do their best. They yeah. actually do. There's studies yeah, shown that like whatever the whatever sort of like the government suggests, mm-hmm. there are trends in buying patterns after that right. based on like dietary things. So people right. want to people be, want to do yeah. their best to, yes. to live their best lives. Yes. I mean, the woman in the film that lives in Patterson, first of all, why do you think that, um, you know, they found her a residence in a rough neighborhood like that, A, Mm because that's all, you know, that's, that's, that's what she could afford on her disability. Mm -hmm. And what is that, what are the choices around her to go grocery shopping? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, like she's showing me these, you know, super sugary granola bars. She's like, oh, I do this for good nutrition. Yeah. yeah, she thinks she's doing the With best like that she can. Sugar in it. Yeah. Exactly, and she's addicted to that because sugar is addictive. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of chemicals thrown into it. So it's like you know, why do we? I mean, do we realize why there's so many fast food restaurants in on, in low income neighborhoods? Yeah. Right, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, because they just are perpetuating the thing. There's a really <laughs> great podcast episode. So I mention this doctor on every single episode. Which, sorry, everybody, <laughs> just get used to it. But um. Dr. Mark Hyman, who's a great functional medicine doctor. I love that I guy. I love. Yeah. But one of his episodes on the doctor's pharmacy was with Hawk Newsom, who is the head of the Black Lives Matters movement in the Bronx specifically. Maybe okay. it's maybe he is the head of it for New York City. He's an attorney, but he's like from the Bronx, lives in the Bronx, and that's like his neighborhood. And he and Mark Hyman, so he did Mark's podcast, and they set up um, like this big sort of community gathering okay. where Mark was able to talk to people in this sort of lower income community about like food education and that people like, he's like, this is the way people and the government not to get too political, but like maintain control in a lot of ways through our food system mm, sure. and people aren't aware of that. So he and Hawk are working together to, to like educate I love that. I love it too. I love that. And so actually recommendation, check out that episode. And um, yeah, it's really enlightening. And even Hawk talks about his, um, even his own personal journey in what he didn't know. He Mm -hmm. didn't know, but that's the thing. It's like, you don't know that you don't know it. Of course. Yeah. You know, exactly. You know, just um, back to fibromyalgia for a second. Is there a demographic? It's, is it like more women? Is there an age group? Is there something? Um, another interesting layered question. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, the re- most reported cases are like mm, like 30 to 40s women. Mm-hmm. That's the reported yeah. cases, right? So that's the that's the key word there. Um, there are plenty of men yeah. with fibromyalgia, but they are not supported in going to the doctor because they're tired or in pain. Right. So <laughs> that's just another yeah. layer. It's another yeah. layer. It's a whole other conversation. Yeah, that is wow. another conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. That um, is so interesting. But, you know, there's lo- there, we have one of our ambassadors is in Tucson, Arizona, and he has a whole group called Men with Fibromyalgia. Okay. And he's a, he's a veteran. He's, um, you know, he was diagnosed a few years ago and he's very open with his condition and, um, you know, he and his wife do a lot of work to be like, you know, this is not a woman's disease. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, fibromyalgia doesn't discriminate is a big Mm -hmm. audible that you hear in our film. 
you know? Um, Absolutely. Uh, and so to answer your question, it is, it can happen to whoever. Yeah. Um, but it's a matter of how can we destigmatize this condition by talking about it more? Yeah. <laughs> so people probably feel free to report it more. Too. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So... Can we talk a little bit, because you're also an actor, which we touched on, mm-hmm. can we talk a little bit now in your life, in your career, how your your own personal wellness journey has grown? And, you know, if you feel like there's anything that's you've come to find that's worked for you, you know, we talk a lot about bio-individuality, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. But I'm just sort of curious to hear, what do you do to support yourself on the daily? Well, um, you know, I I did I did go. I I like to say that I'm like 95% vegan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's probably a couple of things I do that like hardcore vegans would be like, she's not a vegan. Right. And this is where like, and I bring this up because <laughs> I don't think that labels will serve any of us. Yeah. Honestly, like I just. I believe in being kind to the planet and mm-hmm. I believe in being kind to my body in in uh, connection to that. Mm-hmm. So I try and um, spend my money um, with companies that are either carbon neutral or, you know, as close to as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever I put on my face and my skin included um, <laughs> and in my hair, you know, all that stuff. Um, I... Uh, buy from imperfect produce Mm -hmm. I buy you know what I mean like I I try and you know not waste things um these are all things that make me feel good about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and also happen to be good for my body Mm -hmm. so I think it's like I try and that's really all it is I'm kind to the planet I'm kind to myself yeah and those two things go together yes yeah yeah very cool yeah and I know you and I had a a talk about um Whole30 we did Yeah. yeah and um because it's not particularly vegan. It's not necessarily... Yeah. Vegan... It's not a... It's not like a... I would say it's not something for vegans, but you could take elements of it and implement them. I think the yes. thing that like really serves is whole foods. Yes. Mm-hmm. Majority plants. Yes. No preservatives. Right. No refined sugar. Right. Because no one's going to argue that that's not like kind to all bodies yeah (laughs) of course and and, you know I have been like paying more attention uh, to how many uh how much I rely on grains Mm -hmm. or you know like you know that was an interesting like thing to to notice and and it I don't really eat gluten like that's not I don't buy bread it's not well speaking of bio-individuality it's like bread is not really like a huge Indian thing like you know like we didn't grow up like eating bread (laughs) you know like (laughs) So it wasn't like naan is so amazing, (laughs) but that's North Indian, you know. Yeah, Yeah, naan is like mostly North Indian, and we're South Indian, and so like we have like you know roti sometimes, but like even then it was like mostly rice. Yeah, and and that's where like it it would be so hard for me to do something like Whole Thirty because I don't eat meat, but. I also like. I mean, most of my protein comes from like legumes, Mm. right. And it's interesting because I, I use like a pea protein, um, right. like a vegan pea protein Me too. for uh, yeah. my morning smoothies usually when I make them. And I didn't do it because there's like no protein powder in Whole30, right? It's just like food. You mm-hmm. don't get to yeah. eat something that's like made in a lab somewhere, even if it's good, good ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I am now experiencing like, huh, 
maybe legumes don't really agree with me. Do I love black beans? Yes. Do I love certain legumes? Sure. But it wasn't until removing them and then adding some back where I'm like, it's given me the awareness, like maybe that doesn't, it's not Mm. the best ingredient for my body Mm -hmm. as far as my own digestion goes. Yeah. Which has been really interesting because for a while I was vegetarian too and would do a lot of high grain, like good grains, Mm -hmm. but high grain, high legumes. But then I realized like that wasn't maybe serving, even though it's like accepted, (laughs) listen, it's in all, in all things, you know, they're good ingredients, but for me, what works for me is not always the same as what works for Eric. It's so individual. It's mm-hmm. so individual. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, I understand. Like, I'm not going to argue that, you know, lentils might make people gassy. Like, right. it'll be, make anybody gassy. But, right. like, I think it's, like, depending on how you grew up and where you come from, what your genetics Absolutely. are. It's, like... You're going to you, interact differently. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, so that's why I'm okay eating them. I don't feel like I'm bloated. Absolutely. Like, I don't... You know, it doesn't necessarily, like, mess with my day yeah, <laughs> if no, I eat them. <laughs> I mean, I love them, but now I'm like, oh, I don't know if they're so good for me. You right. Know? So yeah. I'm I'm with you there, I, I think. But at the end of the day, it's just bottom line. I'm kind to the planet. I'm kind to myself. Mm-hmm. It but makes that's it a easy. Good, that's a, just, like, a good motto for life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind to the planet, kind to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, before we sort of wrap up, I want to ask you because you have a podcast coming out. I do. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so Are you going to plug me? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm really excited to listen to it. Do you want to give us a little explanation of what it's called and what it's about? Yeah, it's called What Are Friends For? We drop on October 23rd. <laughs> and it's uh, my, uh, my best friend and I, Samantha, we had been living within five minutes of each other for about 11, 12 years <laughs> until last year when I moved mm. from New York to LA. This is the longest, like, longest distance between us that we've ever had. <laughs> and it was like a big realization that we're like, was proximity really the reason why we were like BFFs for so long? Like, mm. and what does it really take to maintain and nurture and build relationships? Mm. And, you know, we talked to people, uh, we talked to a psychologist about how the skills that we think that we need to uh, have romantic relationships are actually the same skills we should be employing in friendships. Totally yeah. agree. They're just platonic love. Yeah, totally agree. You know? <laughs> totally. And so, like, we, we just try and have difficult conversations and we try and, like, encourage other people to have difficult conversations in their own relationships and, mm-hmm. and see where it gets us with friends. That's so beautiful. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm excited to listen to it. Yeah. Um, so it comes out October 26th, you said? 23rd. 23rd. October okay. 23rd. Everywhere podcasts are found. Yes. And we're already online. It's at uh, What Are Friends For? So the website is waffpodcast.com. Okay. Oh, I love and, it. And... Um, and what are you on Instagram? Same. W-A-F-F podcast. podcast. Okay. Yes. And then if people want to follow you specifically mm-hmm. to keep up with like your the film stuff, which is called Invisible. Correct. Right? Just to reiterate, where can they find, what are your handles in your... My Instagram handle is just my name. It's at Pallavi Sastry, P-A-L-L-A-V-I-S-A-S-T-R-Y. I'm sure you guys will spell it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just feel like I have to every time I say that. <laughs> and then that. on Twitter, I'm at Hi Pallavi Sastry. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, ladies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.